Hey peeps, post-edit host here. This episode was recorded a couple of weeks before May 2nd, which was when the decision regarding the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was leaked. So, unfortunately, this episode does not touch upon this. What can you do? We could not have known. I might make a separate episode in the future regarding it, but I'll just say very briefly right now that I think that's bullshit and abortion should be a right. Enjoy the episode. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome to the tragedy of our reality. I'm your host, Tyron. Um, I want to make this fast so that we can get right to the meat of this episode, uh, but we have a guest on today. I did it. I got a guest on. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about women's rights, and I think it's an especially poignant topic, among other things, in regards to current events so yeah should be a good one it'll be sort of an open discussion while mostly being unscripted so yeah enjoy the following conversation sorry if the audio is a little bit weird um i had to record this uh conversation on zoom so it's a little low quality but hopefully it is audible enough for your enjoyment Let's get right to it. All right, Mac, welcome to the Tragedy of Our Reality podcast. Um, Thank you so much for coming on uh firstly um how about we get a small introduction to you as well as preferred pronouns thank you for having me um so i'm mac pittateri i use the she her hers pronouns i am currently a women gender and sexuality studies major with a minor in human rights and i'm also the program assistant for the leadership programs for my university at the moment All right. Awesome. Awesome. And for the listeners listening, my pronouns are uh, he, him, his, uh, but you guys probably already knew that already. Um, So a little background for the audience. Um, I know Mac because we had a class together last semester, Legal Rights of Women, I think uh, the class was called. Um, So we both sort of have a common connection of women's rights already. Um, But I'm sure Mac here can enlighten me and our listeners about the nuances of women's rights. Um, I have to say, uh, I'm a little sad we didn't get to record this during March, during Women's History Month. Um, But that's okay. Every every month is Women's History Month, you know. (laughs) Um, So uh, Mac, we can just kind of have an open discussion Um, But I do have a few questions for us to, you know, keep us focused, keep us pointed, and to get us going. 
Um, this is going to be unscripted for the audience to know. Um, so yeah, you might hear me uh, do, this is going to be candid tyrant here, candid host. So I might slip up every now and then. I'm not going to edit any of this. It's just raw audio. So it should be fun. Um, and also, Mac, if you want to ask me, the host, any questions as well, feel free to do so. Um, and yeah, let's just uh, get going. We're going to be talking about women's rights. So are you ready, Mac? I'm absolutely ready. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, oh boy. Uh, so women's rights, I would say for the first question, um, why did you pick women's rights as the discussion topic for today's episode? Um, so essentially, I want you to basically say, what is your relationship to the topic of today's episode? Absolutely. Um, I chose the topic because I could talk about it endlessly. Um, there's so many complexities within women's rights and there's so many nuanced ways in which to look at it. Um, obviously, as a woman, there are components that I relate very closely to, um, but it's also important to recognize my areas of privilege um, and you know, recognize that women's rights also affect the women in my life, the women that I love in different ways when you think about intersectionality in terms of race, class, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, if you are looking at women's rights culturally, um, it's going to mean a lot of different things. So I thought that it would give us a large range of topics to talk about today. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, also I was very, very keen on talking about women's rights because I think there's always this cycle of political discourse that comes around when it comes to like women's rights, mm -hmm. um, like specifically anything to do with um, abortion or um, just general misogyny or um, privilege in a sense of like... Um, how is uh, masculinity's relationship to femininity? Um, just general things that concern women's rights. Um, but also like, um, uh, I'm also very keen on um, trans rights as well, how mm -hmm. trans women can kind of be um, fit into the discourse around women's rights. So um, yeah, uh, I think that's great. Um, so I guess another question I have is maybe maybe you sort of uh, answered this already, um, but I would ask, what does it mean to advocate for women's rights? And essentially, I would ask, um, I don't know, I don't like to say, I don't like to call people like bad ac activists, mm. but like what separates a bad activist from like, say, a good activist, if you even want to think about it in those terms? you know i think i think that's an important question to ask and i appreciate the way you phrased it carefully because i think especially when you're using specific terms for movements like feminism there's so many different ways to break it down and there's so many lenses in which people view feminism there's feminism 
as a whole, there's transnational feminism, which looks at in, across international borders. Um, there's so many different types of feminism. Um, and in saying that, it reminds me of the author Roxane Gay. She writes about being a bad feminist and what that looks like. But ultimately, it seems to me that being a, a quote unquote bad activist is when you don't have the intention of actually learning and growing and making progress for a movement. Um, I'm thinking like performative activism. We saw that a lot mm. with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, people just posting black squares on Instagram, which kind of flooded out actual content that would educate people on the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and as much as people should be encouraged to show their support for a movement, um, I don't think it's really fair to call yourself an activist or an ally in alignment with that if you're not actively trying to learn and grow. And that also means like taking constructive criticism and reflecting on your own role within that. Like I said, recognizing privilege um, and actively listening to the communities who are affected if it's not your community in particular. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's quite interesting because I know a lot of like, when it comes to performative activism, I think just in general, I feel like it, it intertwines with so much of the status quo where you recognize a, or like you're actually, you know, quote unquote, virtue signaling where, you denote a problem you say oh like there's a problem but the political prescriptions are not there you know like okay yeah. so take it a step further how do you want to fix this and sometimes people won't even answer that or they'll just kind of obfuscate obfuscate or dodge the question mm -hmm. um but I think ultimately, yeah, I think, I think, at least from my perspective, I do consider myself to be a feminist. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say to be a good activist is, I, I, I don't know, I'm not really asking too much. I would just say just be very, like, holistic. Be very holistic in the way that you approach, um, approach feminism. Like, mm -hmm. think about it in... And, in all different axes of oppression. And you did mention intersectionality um, in a way. And I think that's that's a good way to approach it because I've yet to find any real like good rebuttals for the like validity of intersectionality. It's just mm -hmm. such a good, you know, it's, it's just such a good tool to use when thinking about um, different axes of oppression. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about, um, uh, mainly because, um, you know, it, it was it was interesting because I when we were when we were in the class together, I couldn't help but notice like. I think I was probably the only guy in there. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, I can't be the only one, right? But I kind of was. And I won't say that that environment did anything negative for me because I think um, it furthermore wanted, like, it really furthered my interest in wanting to continue with the course because it's an interesting dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can, I can be a good actor a good like male ally as much as I want like I can like do my research I can you know read theory I can be that guy but all in all I think there's only so much that me learning from the outside can get me before lived experience which I don't have as being like you know not being a woman can get me you know mm-hmm. like there is that's where you know I think being an active listener instead of like a passive listener really makes more sense for me in that stage in that mm-hmm. dynamic because sure i can i can listen to what you guys have to say but what is it what good does it do for me if i'm not actively um i guess um like internalizing it i would say yeah so because also yeah. like a lot of what happens, especially in America, is that people feel an obligation to advocate for a movement or a certain community of people, but don't actually have experience working with them or talking to them. Um, And like you said, that really only gets you so far you might have good intentions but you don't know the unintended harm that you might be causing to that community because Mm -hmm. you've never lived their experiences and you wouldn't understand the complexities and the nuances of those issues that you might be talking about and I don't consider anything feminist if it's not intersectional and it's not holistic like you were talking about um you absolutely like need to be willing to keep learning and growing as an individual if you're going to help others because we can't keep you know fighting systems of oppression within our institutions if we are personally still perpetuating colonialism in some way no matter how minor that might be mm-hmm Oh, no, yeah, I that that that's that's a good point because I think, um, like, have you ever heard the term like being a class reductionist? I haven't. I think, uh, I think my my understanding of this is a little bit strained, but I believe the understanding is that if you're a class reductionist, it means that every every you basically reduce every problem down to just a person's class you know Mm. like it's it's kind of a a radical idea because i think some class reductionists think that let's say you know capitalism is oppressive but let's say if we got rid of capitalism they believe that also racism will be solved i personally don't think that's going to be the case because i think Mm. racism existed before you know, capitalism and racism existed after capitalism. And it's going to consist, 
going to continue like existing in tandem with each other now capitalism absolutely absolutely, capitalism absolutely like exacerbates racism in a lot of sense Mm -hmm. but um i think yeah you have to tackle these like you can't just think about each like mode of oppression as something that you tackle one at a time because if you tackle it one at a time then the other like modes of oppression are going to have to quote unquote wait you know yeah which makes activism feel very strained and feel hopeless because you also know that as an individual you can't take the weight of the world on your shoulders um and these are very big things that are in corroboration with each other so it can feel really impossible to abolish racism or abolish the patriarchy things that are great ingrained in our institutions and our culture and the foundations of our country um Mm -hmm. and even globally as well um so it's it's very stressful and honestly that is something that I also struggle with because I am in terms of my career trying to go into a field where I can be doing that work and I know that everything is interconnected so it feels very difficult to navigate that and figure out a job that isn't affected by political corruption, isn't affected by colonialism and can work Uh on multiple things at once. That's like very difficult to find. Um, And it's rare to hear about these smaller non-governmental organizations, for example, compared to like the Peace Corps that's well-renowned and well-funded Um, You know, they're still going into other countries, teaching little kids English, when I'm sure that there are other resources that would be much more beneficial to the community. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to like, always have a little bit of a critical lens when you're doing this type of work, but also to try and be optimistic, because if you're constantly getting bogged down in the technicalities and the hopelessness of it all, it's really hard to accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you mentioned a lot of things there that I want to get into, at least later. You mentioned the patriarchy, which I definitely want to talk about, to be honest. Um, but also, uh, like, I feel, God, I think, oh, no, I think I just lost it. Ugh. Um. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So you mentioned um, like progress and stuff like that and optimism. And I will say that over the course of human history, things have gotten better. But mm-hmm. like that's been that's like such a low bar now, you know, yeah. gotten to such a low bar now. But even it's also like you have to think about what's your criteria for better. For some people, it's purely legal. Like in the law books, it says, oh, it says in the law books, oh yeah, black and white people are equal. So in the law, there is no racism or like men and women are equal. See, it's not like, 
it's in the law books like it's in the it's in the whatever you know so that means that there is no sexism that means there's no racism well i think if you get into politics it's not as simple as as you you would like you know because yeah a lot of it has to do with language that implies um discrimination or language that kind of dog whistles when it comes to mm. um like different uh different legislation and stuff like that and i think um the professor in the class she t- she talked about a uh, disparate impact you know yeah, where absolutely. um you can have a law that on its face seems completely innocuous like mm-hmm. we treat everybody the same um, we let everybody into the whatever the we let everybody play basketball, but we don't allow, you know, people under five four play basketball. You remember that? Remember that yes. example? Yeah. Yes. That was that was pretty wild. You know, and because I think that, oh sorry, I think, you can go. That's okay. Yeah. I think that highlights a discussion that isn't had as frequently um, when you're learning especially in formal education, when you're learning about history or activist movements, they don't teach you about the difference between equality and equity, because equality Mm. is exactly that. It's saying, I treat you the same, so there's no problem, but it doesn't account for what equity does, which is acknowledging that there has been a grand history in which people are disadvantaged systemically. And so it tries to find ways to navigate around that and kind of um, bring you up to the same speed by compensating. It's, It's a bit different and no one really has that conversation in a formal education setting and I think that's a difference that is very important because feminism can't just strive for equality you can't just say I treat black women the same way I treat white women and say that's enough because black women have had so many more disadvantages than white women so it's Mm. really it's just not enough right yeah it's like it's like a misogynist saying, I treat black women and white women the same, even though they treat women, period, pretty badly. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's, it's always yeah. like the first defense, like, oh, if women are equal, I can hit them in the face now. Yeah. So now I, you're turning it towards gendered violence, which is also what we're fighting against in this movement. It's a lot bigger than these things. And that shouldn't be your default. That is incredibly harmful. And it's sickening to hear that so regularly. Yeah, I, I'm so, oh, that is so funny. I'm glad you brought that up because it's, that's the most irritating argument ever because w- w- you get these like edgy 16 year old boys on the internet. And you're <laughs> like, huh, if, if, if we are really equal, then that means that I can hit women whenever. And I'm like, why does your mind go straight to like gendered violence? Like that's kind yeah. of a self-report, you know, like yeah. dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't see you hitting men constantly because you know you'd get beat up. I'm sure a woman yeah. could kick your ass as as well as a man could. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. It's it's all it's all hypocrisy. It's all double standards. Nothing really makes sense, to be honest. It's yeah, and I think on on the topic of like kind of um, misogyny, I would say there's like. There, there's something more to misogyny that I think at least a lot of guys don't really think think about mm. because um, I think because discrimination against women isn't just women being hated by misogynists, you know? Yeah. Like there's a systemic kind of systemic perception of femininity that I think goes under the radar for not even just guys, but I think just people in general, um, we seem to have this kind of um, kind of infantilizing um, perception of femininity or, um, you know, women in general that I think it's all about, it's not just like hating women, but it's like society hates women. Like, yeah. you know, that that's kind of what I wanted to get at, like implicit versus face value misogyny in a mm. sense. That's why I think that's why I think like the the punching women thing is like not a good argument because it's like you think that it's just you think misogyny is only when like women get punched in the face, but well, yeah. it's not like when you know, they're discriminated against in the workplace or they receive, you know, daily sexual harassment from their coworkers or microaggressions. Yeah, a lot of microaggressions. The butt of a joke, like. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that I find myself getting infuriated about is that I so frequently hear men making microaggressive or misogynistic jokes about women and you say "Mm, that's not funny and they feel the need to tell you it was a joke like you're too stupid to recognize it it just didn't land buddy yeah like (laughs) yeah like what was the punchline buddy tell me it like you know (laughs) yeah it just it is in every facet of life and you know i am a cisgender heterosexual white woman like I am really just struggling with my gender identity and where that places me in the world and how people treat me in regards to it. But there are so going back to intersectionality, like I mm-hmm. couldn't imagine having so many overlapping identities in which I would have to like code switch being in different environments or I would be attacked for not being only one thing but being three things or whatever the case may be it's just I know it's so exhausting for me and I'm in this place of privilege constantly so I can't imagine how draining it must be to be a member of multiple marginalized identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Um, I always think I always think about like my identity as well when I talk about axes of oppression, because like I'm 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 cis. I'm cis. I'm heterosexual. I'm a man. So I kind of have an OP build already, um, but I'm not white. That's where things kind of get a little bit interesting because me being Asian American kind of be- lets it become my master status, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So in a sense, like if I'm, if, if I'm an Asian guy, like it doesn't even matter anymore whether or not I'm straight or I'm cis or I'm yeah. a guy like you're just you're just the Asian kid like I grew up in New Hampshire and I was just the Asian kid like of course you know mm-hmm. so I think I think also like the Asian part of me kind of conflicts with the masculinity part of me as well because there are if you've heard like the stereotypes about Asian men a lot of it has to do with very much emasculating them you know mm. Which, I mean, I don't really care that much about because I'm not so insecure about ma- my masculinity that I, like, draw it from some nebulous, like, God-tier masculinity that I should abide by. But, right it's, still, <laughs> but it's still, like, it's still, like, really weird, you know? Yeah. Because you hear stuff about, like, oh, you know, Asian guys, they're nerdy, you know, they're antisocial, they don't get girls, they have a small penis, which is a weird hill to die on, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I've gotten so many, like, dick comments from my friends in high school, and I'm like, why are you thinking about my dick so much? I'm trying to have lunch. It's lunch period, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's weird, I because it just, that that coupled with other things kind of proves my theory that if anything else men shit on other men and police other men so much Mm -hmm. that we don't even realize it you know yeah and it kind of plays into part like i wanted to also talk about like the patriarchy as well like um because i think the the patriarchy for sure hurts women but there are also parts of it that definitely backfire on men as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's why like abolishing like the overall mechanisms in which the patriarchy can um, perpetuate is so vital to just everyone being happy. You know? Absolutely. So I just I guess wanted to get your thoughts on this as well uh since i introduced like the patriarchy kind of concept i wanted to hear your um thoughts about it as well yeah i i absolutely agree with you um and it that is kind of one of the dominant goals of feminism is abolishing the patriarchy um And a lot of the rebuttals you hear against feminism, um, like calling people feminazis um, in that right, is believing (laughs) that we're... (laughs) That's terrible. That's like, that's like a, are people still calling like feminist feminazis? I thought that was more like of a, Um, (laughs) like a, like right when Donald Trump got elected kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I'm hoping 
and I, I'm, I'm very much hoping that that narrative is changing as people have more access to resources in which they can get educated about it because feminism advocates for men as well. It advocates for gay men, for trans men. It advocates for all men because they're, like you were talking about, the patriarchy hurts men. It perpetuates expectations that a man is only a man if he's masculine um, and he can't show any emotions other than anger because emotions other than anger are deemed as feminine. Um, and that's like tied into homophobia as well because gay men are perceived mm-hmm. um, stereotypically as super feminine. Um, so obviously like homophobia is an issue within itself, but it also becomes a little bit of a misogynist issue because you're just hating on anything deemed feminine or womanly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like something that I've also learned from spending time researching and getting a formal education on these subjects. And I was talking to someone the other day. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white area. Um, and I've always known that like racism is bad. Homophobia is bad. It's not fair to not be nice to someone, but that's a very simplistic and understated way of looking at things. Um, And it's really easy to dismiss people and say, well, you have the access to resources, so you should be doing it. Um, Unfortunately though, what I've seen, not with just our generation, but all generations like before us is that people don't really start to care about issues until they affect them. Um, Uh And- Complacency and apathy, I think, are disgusting traits to have, but I don't think it's fair to call it that because, you know, I didn't really start to get interested in and care about these issues until I was learning about them in my courses um, and learning how complicated and how really unfair it actually is um and I wish that was a conversation people were willing to have more um we Mm -hmm. have a tendency to dismiss people especially with cancel culture um when they make a mistake um and there were some things There are some things that people have said publicly um, that are unforgivable at this point in time um, because you absolutely, on a very rudimentary level, should understand that that's never okay. However, again, talking about nuances, things are very complicated. Um, And (laughs) it is hard to be an advocate all the time and it's hard to be politically correct all the time 
I've had to do a lot of work um, and mental checking on myself um, and acknowledging my implicit biases the second they come into my head. Um, and a lot mm -hmm. of people just don't do that because they're not getting a formal education on these things. Like in predominantly white areas, you get a black history month. Black history isn't integrated into your learning every single year, 24 seven, you know? Um, and as much as everyone knows that you should care about those things, when you're not constantly being surrounded by them, you're bound to have blind spots where you're just ignorant. And I would hope that people would want to not be ignorant anymore, but there are so many people who are willfully ignorant. And then there are also people who just aren't educated. They don't, mm -hmm. they aren't taught why they should care. Yeah. No, yeah. You, those are all very good points. I think, I think the point you brought about in terms of like apathy or like not caring or, you know, the, the biggest lie I think you can say as a human being is, oh, I'm, I'm not biased. That like, mm -hmm. that's a lie, you know? Yeah. Like, it's literally philosophy 101 that everybody, if you're interacting in the social world, you have biases, you know, you have biases and it's fine. It's fine if you have biases, but it's all about how you mitigate the damage caused by those biases and, and whether or not you account for those biases when you're making decisions or you're perceiving people, groups in a certain way, you Absolutely. know? And yeah, I just think because I don't know, it's, it's, re it's really easy, I think, to give the impression of, of being out of the conflict when you're saying, oh, I'm just like kind of in the middle, mm -hmm. but in place of like, and I get that, like, you always want to make sure you don't, you know, get into fights that you need, don't need to, but in times of great, you know, oppression, like, where it can be, you know, objectively proven that oppression is being taken place. Where do you stand in that regard? You know? Yeah. It's because, yeah. And I hear people get frustrated with politics and they claim themselves as not political. And maybe they didn't vote in the last election because either party was like too extreme for them and they need something in the middle. And those arguments are valid and I get it, but also that is such a privilege to not have to engage with that. Um, and in terms of like the patriarchy and getting men to advocate for feminism, you know, like, if you're not doing it for the women in your life, the few, I hope that mm -hmm. there's at least one woman that every man cares about yeah. in his life. Um, and it's a whole nother discussion to be like, 
what if it was your sister? What if it was your mother? Like, you should just see women as women, period. Anyway, um, the patriarchy affects everybody. And that should be something that I, I would love for more people to, to recognize and actively defend against. Because if you're not voting because you're politically well off, if you're not voting because none of the policies that the candidates are proposing really affect you, think a little deeper because they do, or they affect someone mm -hmm. you love. Um, and as much as I think it's appropriate to um, vote on policies that benefit you as an individual, I don't think it's fair for po politics to be selfish. I think you're, mm. you're contributing to a system in which decisions are being made for the entire country. Like there is so much weight and power in that. And I know you're one of millions of people, but if enough people have a certain mentality about something, you have the power to affect change. And that's something you need to think about. You're not just writing a check mark on a ballot. It's so much further than that. And I feel like, you know, the education system should definitely reflect that more and educate kids on politics. And I think they're very scared to do that because they fear it'll create more polarization. And perhaps that might be true because there are people who have thoughts of their own and then there are kids who listen to their daddies. Um, mm -hmm. But ultimately educating the American population objectively is the only way that we can make any kind of progress. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think you bringing up politics was, was perfect because that's kind of like my interest. Like I'm, and I'm sure the audience who's followed my podcast know I'm very left-leaning. I'm like so far to the left that like it's, I'm kind of a radical. I don't know. I just like <laughs> it when people have equal rights. Um, but uh, to point that out, it's like, I think America in general has a very tenuous or like very strained relationship with its politics because it's so, it's, it's, it's so like not, not what you would expect like a first world country's kind of politics to go you know, mm -hmm. and it's, we, America has this problem with rugged individualism, where it's all about me, you know, we advocate yeah. for the individual, but the thing is, like, rugged individualism creates rugged individuals, you know? Absolutely. So, like, if you ask the average American that's like living in rural America, like somewhere in one of the flyover states to be like, oh, I think you should change like, 
you know, just like when you're around my my aunts, you know, you like you got to be nicer. They'll say like, yeah, OK, yeah, I'll 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 change my I'll change my um my language around your family. But like if you ask the American people as a whole to do something which benefits the greater good, but they have to in turn sacrifice something of their own, even if it's very, very tiny, the American people would be like, be just like, no, go fuck yourself. You yeah, know? absolutely. We saw this with the masks. We saw this with vaccines. We saw this with social distancing. We couldn't get our haircuts. And then all of a sudden we were just like, oh no, the world's over. Let's just buy all the toilet paper. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah. That, that makes me think of like, you know, family gatherings. Like I identify as liberal and progressive um, and my family is on the opposite end of that political spectrum Um, Mm. and you know I hear a lot of people of our generation having this conversation about going home for the holidays and like trying to call out your racist uncle or your grandfather um and I think you talked about the greater good and it's hard to determine in that situation what the greater good is like maintaining your mm-hmm. relationship with your family and not causing a scene so you can have a nice holiday or, you know, advocating for people of color, you know? Um, and to me, one is much more important than the other. Uh, but that's, never supported because I would just be making a scene and no one else in the room would agree with me. Um, And it's very hard to talk to a room of people who aren't willing to listen. Your goal is to educate them, but at what point are you supposed to stop because they don't want to be educated? You know, Mm -hmm. I obviously sociopolitically, there are differences of opinion, even technically in my education, you know, I learned that there are multiple lenses in which these things have been discussed. Um, Like I mentioned the multiple types of feminism, like some types of feminism aren't good, they're not productive, but in a historical sense, they exist as feminism, even though the current definition of feminism is intersectional and Um, Mm all-encompassing. So it's just kind of like exhausting to even think about like, do I continue to try and educate them? Because objectively, I am probably more educated on the subject because of my major and my minor and this course of study and my experience working with communities and activist groups because to them, it's not objective. To them, what they have to say is objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really hard to navigate those situations and be like, this is a learning opportunity or not yeah yeah um i it's it it is unfortunate though the like going back home with the politics that you have and having to approach 
you know, maybe your uncle and his username on Twitter is like Maga Warrior 69 or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it's 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 tough because I don't know. These are like I you don't want to cause a scene, like like you said. I definitely think like I I think, yeah, I would agree that you definitely don't want to cause a scene, but at the same time, you know, you also have to think about whether or not their minds will be changed. Absolutely, exactly. It's about, you know, because they're your family members, even just talking about your, talking to your parents about this, like when when it comes to talking to somebody who's close with you about politics and you have what you swing one direction but they swing the other direction it's hard to kind of talk to them about it because to your parents or like from your parents perspective what is the difference between you like advocating for feminism and you like not getting the cookie that you wanted they see that as kind of almost the same thing oh it's just like young person rambling it's just the phase they'll get over it they don't know what they're talking about because i think parents do have this like superiority complex where their title dictates their their superiority like just from them being a parent alone and i'm not saying like i'm not gonna shit on parents i love parents i love my mom and dad you know um like you guys do some great work i think it's being a mom is the most difficult job being a dad is the second most difficult job you know period I think um but I think you have to approach it in a different way when it comes to talking about you know feminism or uh like sex uh like um, gender issues in general or yeah um you know stuff like that because you know you also have to realize that your parents grew up in a different time than you and I you know it's 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 going to be complicated even more so if they're like your grandparents or your great great parents i don't even i don't even i don't yet i haven't even met somebody that had like their great great grandparents like alive <laughs> they must have been super young when they had like kids i don't know yeah but um but besides that yeah you kind of have to approach it a different way because they're not going to differentiate between you advocating for something you're really passionate about and something that's like just some teenage tantrum or something like that so I guess the best way to talk to your my personal advice and I've also like I I listen to a lot of other podcasts that kind of collaborate my thinking I would say the best approach to your parents when talking about let's say like gendered issues like oh let's say your dad's being a little like he's like oh I don't think women should be you know he's like oh women should be in the kitchen you know they're just incubators and stuff like that he just says like some some stuff I think the best way to approach that is not to be like so confrontational but to be like hey this I think it's it also depends on the temperament you have you could probably I don't know yell at him for all I care I don't really know but how I would approach it is hey dad I think there are some problematic things that you've said and I do not agree with them. And at that point, I would also continue on and say, hey, if you want to reach out to me and talk about why your language was problematic, come talk to me. You know, that's how I would approach it, because then you give them the option to come to you to discuss it, you know, because and if they take that opportunity to 
opportunity to talk to you, then that means they've seeded some ground in saying, hey, okay, fine. I do care about what my child has to say, you know? So it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a dynamic you have to, you have to like fiddle, fiddle with, you know, make sure you get all the, the nooks and crannies kind of squared away because like it's your parents like really what amount of argument is going to change their minds and at the end of the day that's why I almost think like I don't think it's really worth it to cause a scene because it's it's about the optics you know it's about the optics like how you appear you know and I just think yeah it's I don't have a I don't have a good answer for this. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it, it's, it's 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 hard because I I love my family. Like I personally love my family. I can't speak to anyone who definitely does not like their family, but I think I'm more accommodating when it comes to my family because I at least have built the mental foundations to figure out okay i know where i know where they're coming from like in terms of like how they acquired the very very like bigoted stuff they they know but Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's all about whether or not you engage um, and you were talking you were talking about optics and that's another component of it because i would never want to perpetuate the stereotype that I'm just like the young, angry liberal. The feminazi. Or the feminazi and give them more ammo or reason not to listen to me. Um, And I've definitely tried multiple different approaches, but honestly, none of them land. I think ultimately the age thing is very much embedded into their heads that they objectively know more because they've been on the planet longer. Um, but things change. Um, they are not stagnant. Um, Mm -hmm. and your experience is less objective than you think it is. Um, so, but that's the thing. Like I've had family tell me like, I didn't ask to be educated. I don't want you to try and educate me because I don't think you're educating me. You're just blabbering about your political opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where, you know, I kind of have to like reassess because as much as I would like to consider myself a fierce advocate for the things I'm passionate about in these issues. Um, It's also exhausting and it's hard to keep wasting my breath on someone who I know will never have even the courtesy to listen. So Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an activist struggle. I think that's part of the territory honestly right right and I feel like with being an activist it's it's difficult because you I think I think being angry and kind of having this righteous indignation all the time is it's tiring but mm-hmm. at the same time if you don't do 
it feels tiring to constantly activate uh, advocate for something but it feels socially irresponsible to not advocate for it you know exactly which is the dynamic i think every single activist comes to terms with um in some shape or form but mm-hmm. it's i think i think being smart about your activism is 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 the best way to to put it i guess yeah you know and um yeah that's that um i also i also with um uh going back to the patriarchy point i Mm -hmm. i wanted to i wanted to say because i think patriarchy is one of those terms that i feel like a lot of men when they hear it they just kind of like everything shuts down yeah they don't know how to engage with it um they they think they've heard patriarchy I feel like men hear patriarchy and they just have this instinct to just be very hostile towards whoever said it, you know, it's, I think it's, it's very man-brained. It's very man-brained. And I grew up with this too. Like, you know, I grew up as a guy in America. So of course I was going to think this as well, but what kind of made me grow out of that, like this was me in like high school, you know, I'm, High school, high school kids are just like they're dipshits. I, I, you know, <laughs> they they don't they don't know anything, you know. But when you grow older, I think for me at least, because I literally think some men think the patriarchy is just literally a group of men called yeah. the patriarch, called the patriarchs Absolutely. that just gather around in like a boardroom or like I don't know. They were like those those like wizard robes over their their faces and they're it's all like dark and they're like in a dungeon and they're all circling around this like sacrificial like i don't know like totem (laughs) or whatever they i think that's actually what happens to men's brains when they think about the patriarchy i don't know they think they think that them simply existing as a man means that they are contributing to the patriarchy what it really means is that they are naturally given privileges. And I think that's another word that makes them shut down because mm-hmm. obviously these things have very negative connotations and for good reason, but they don't understand that like when we use the term privilege, we know what it means. And what it means uh-huh. is that you are given that privilege by someone else. Um, You are benefiting in a way that makes your life easier in a very simple way. It could mean like you have one of the examples of privilege that I think is a very clear breakdown of what it means is, you know, like ableist privilege, you know, there's stairs everywhere which means Mm -hmm. that I, an able-bodied person, could get wherever I needed to go easily. But there's not always, like, wheelchair-accessible routes. Um, That is a privilege that I have as an able-bodied person. I don't have to think about it all the time. I just go. I walk, and I go, and I get to where I need to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for that, but it was given to me. I just happen to be born into this body, able-bodied. Um, and I think that's something that 
people with privilege don't always understand. Um, and that's where they start to shut down because yes, existing as a man means that you get unnecessary privileges. And that means that you have some sort of social or moral responsibility to think about those things and mm-hmm. hopefully help other people. Um, but just existing as a man is not an inherently bad thing, but that's right. what it sounds like because yeah. there's a misunderstanding of the terminology and an ignorance there. Right, right. No, yeah, I, I, I want to harp on a lot of like things that definitely because the term male privilege or patriarchy or even toxic masculinity are sort of these kind of triggers in the most men's like brains that makes them think about their place in society you know Mm -hmm. it's a lot of like introspection and it's in a lot of ways it's it's uncomfortable and hostile because I think we were at a very young age conditioned to be hostile towards things that question the status quo yes you know that's that's what you know I could propaganda is another discussion I guess but like (laughs) I think like I I don't know like inter I want to say focus here like say for privilege I think privilege is hard to recognize because you don't know what you don't know you know right and so many things um like um uh, like for example if you say a guy has male privilege and he goes what i have male privilege but i get sad sometimes and <laughs> like you completely that's not the argument i was trying to make it's like i think it's because you know i think the condition for everybody isn't great at the moment but it's like it's more so if you tell a a guy he has privilege they don't want to accept that that's his condition is pretty much as good as it's going to get yeah you know and and having privilege doesn't mean that you can't experience discrimination I experienced discrimination as a woman but I have privilege as a straight woman a privilege as a cisgender person. I mm-hmm. have class privilege. Like it, multiple things can be true <laughs> at yeah. once. Yeah, I think I think are uh, it's 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 interesting because I don't think of when I think of privilege, I don't think of privilege, and I think I touched on this in a previous episode of mine. I don't think privilege is something that's you know inherently bad but it's a tool that you use to interact with society and how you use it i think plays in part of whether or not that privilege is good or bad you know what i'm saying yeah it's like yeah but it's it's like saying like if you if if i were put out in the street and i was like homeless and i was white you know, that's that's already a, a pretty bad situation to be in because homeless people get shit on so many in so many facets of the world, you know? 
Yeah. And you have to think to yourself, like, okay, I'm white. I'm a white guy who's homeless. You know, I'm on the street. I'm begging. Would my life be worse or better if I were black? Right. That's the thing you have to think about. That's where the intersectionality comes in to play. Like, because, like, being homeless sucks. But, like, being being black and homeless is terrible you know it's it's about though that's what i mean when i say like intersectionality and stuff like that yeah. so yeah that's it's 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 crazy you know absolutely um yeah i have a couple other things i wanted to get into um seeing so, you know, if you have the time of course but um yeah of course yeah okay so we went over patriarchy male privilege oh i'm I'm glad we kind of like get into a lot of things that i had planned anyway so i feel like a lot of this kind of connects you know yeah Um, it's a very natural progression of these things because mm -hmm. like we said they're all very much connected Yeah, yeah there's no more proof that they're connected than how seamlessly you can jump from one topic to the other like, yeah you know. um so i wanted to talk about i there's going to be a lot of like a lot of so trigger warning for the audience here and and you of course but like rape and sexual harassment um the concept of consent um mm-hmm. abortion especially in today's political climate um what's uh what would you say interests you more from those uh from those topics oh my <laughs> yeah I, I didn't want to put you on the spot we can just sort of go one by one but um if you want to start with one first or is there's one if there's one that gives you say the most passion then uh i mean you're the guest so go for it <laughs> yeah um it's very difficult to just choose one and prioritize it over the others um Oh, we're, we're going to get to all of them eventually, but, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, abortion obviously has been a very hot topic. Um, mm, yes, yes. Our professor did a whole speech about it. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know how much more I could contribute to the conversations that already exist around that topic. Um, It's something that I do feel very passionately about, um, but it's one of those things that I kind of see in not exactly a black and white manner, but um, for me, I think there are less nuances in the controversy if that makes sense um there Mm. are other aspects of the feminist movement where i can understand why there is disagreement or more discourse um whereas abortion for me um is very simply a woman's individual choice. It has nothing to do with society. 
it has nothing to do with like whether or not a fetus is a living human at so many weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's a personal decision. And it's astonishing to me that it ever got to the point that we're at now in which we're debating whether or not a woman deserves bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I, I wanted to at least uh, uh, at least jump in a little bit. Um, so at least for the abortion aspect, uh, I am pro-choice. Um, I'm like very much pro-choice. And I think the reason why I came to be pro-choice is that I didn't really, at least in a political sense, I just found so many holes in like, like caring about the fetus. Yeah. In a sense where it's like, okay, like, I feel like this more has to do with the women's bodily autonomy than actually caring about like the livelihood of a fetus. Absolutely. A child. Because if you cared Mm -hmm. about like if you cared about the health of children, then you would also advocate for like free health care in a sense. And like you don't you don't advocate for that. Like a lot of the let's be honest, a lot of the pro-life community is conservative. Mm -hmm. And conservatives in this country have tended to not like big social reform Mm -hmm. which is things like you know free health care or um you know abolishing the prison system um but in a sense it's like when i think about what conservatives advocate for in terms of abortion like they wanted to get rid of contraceptives like there were Republicans advocating, like, we don't want contraceptives. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with abortion. That's like, before you even have sex, like, what the, like, what the actual fuck? Like, that has nothing to do with like abortion, you know? Ultimately, it's about putting women in their place and making sure they uphold their biological responsibilities, which is bullshit. Um, yeah. And Again, I think there is so much misunderstanding and lack of education about the terminology that is used in this, in these movements. Like Mm -hmm. I hear people who, you know, we've had discussions in some of my courses. Um, There was one student who said that they were not pro-choice but also supported the individual woman's right to choose. That's exactly what pro-choice means. Pro-choice does not equal pro-abortion. Pro-choice means that you believe an individual has the right to make a decision about their own body without influence from other people. That is all it means. Mm -hmm. You can be as anti-abortion for yourself as you want. No one cares. No one cares what you Ex- do with your body. Exactly. Or they exactly. shouldn't, at least. Like, but unfortunately, they do. Yeah, like, that. that's the thing. Like, you absolutely can be, like, anti-abortion, but, like, pro-legalizing it. 
you know, because it's mm-hmm. all about whether or not women get arrested or not for getting an abortion. Like the reason why I want abor- abortion, you know, legalized is because it means that women have the choice to do so. You know, they have the freedom to do so. They have the positive to do it liberty safely. to do it safely. Is the difference because yeah. even when abortion was illegal way back when, you know, coat hanger abortions were a major source of female mortality rates. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop people. It never did. It's just like prohibition, you know, like people were bootlegging yeah. alcohol and they found ways around it. Our laws aren't as enforceable as we treat them. We're just hurting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you look at the and I've looked at de- I've looked at data for this, like empirically if you if you ban abortion the demand for abortion doesn't go down absolutely you know because people are it just makes abortion less safe you know Mm -hmm. so i'd rather like women have the option to do it and to have it be safe at least have it be like no, no stigma behind having an abortion and you know for it to be free as well you know um but free healthcare is a whole other subject in and of itself. That yeah, that's true. It doesn't that's just true. tie into reproductive justice. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And also, I think the question of the validity, like the question of the validity of a fetus's life, it, it gets so, I find those conversations meaningless because they get so philosophical, you know, they just kind of get, get nowhere. Because yeah. we end up talking about, okay, what's the meaning of life? Where does life begin? You right. know, those questions never have an end to them. You know, yeah. there's never like an answer we can arrive at. But there is an answer we can arrive at, like at least logistically and in the real world, where we're not mm-hmm. thinking about philosophy, we're thinking about mortality, like numbers, like how many women are going to be more well off if we legalize abortion? And yeah. I would I would argue a lot more women would be not only having the safety net of being able to have an abortion, but also just having a procedure they know is going to work and is going to be safe is if it's not free, it's going to cost very, very little. So let's say that. Because they, they act like an abortion is just a quick decision you make in a second. You find out you're pregnant. You're like, oh, bye. It's not like that. I can guarantee you that every woman who has gotten an abortion was like, oh, shit, I need to evaluate my life right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I won't have the support of the father of the child. Maybe I won't have the support of my family. Maybe I have to do this all on my own. How am I going to afford this? You know, it's not going to increase the number of abortions like those abortions were already going to happen Mm -hmm. people accidentally you know getting pregnant that rate isn't going to change yeah yeah and it's not an easy decision to make 
Mm -hmm. So many people who have had abortions have talked about how difficult it was and how it like took a toll on their bodies. It's not something that I personally would ever willfully choose to go through, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not like, mm, in a few years, I think I want to get an abortion. It's not a fun decision to make. Stop acting like it and stop acting like women or people who can get pregnant are dumb. <laughs> right, right. I also think it's more so like there's this underlying tone of like regulating, like regulating women's sexuality in a sense because you're at that point it's like i think you're just punishing women for having sex like yeah but who's having sex with these women yeah exactly exactly (laughs) like they they never see they never see the other side they just always fixate on the women always made the wrong choice that's in the in in the people's mind that's what they're thinking about Mm -hmm. and also i don't think i don't think like women if they want an abortion i don't think we should just force them to have a baby they don't want to have you know they're not going to be good mothers they're not going to be able to take care of it there's a reason that they wanted that abortion so yeah you don't give a shit about the child yeah so yeah you don't give a shit about the child because the child's not going to have a mother that's going to want to be a mother and you don't that's like bad for both parties why would you want that outcome so it's yeah it's just like the net benefits of having abortion legalized so much more outweigh like whatever net losses you have Mm -hmm. from abortion. Like, I know it's not black and white, but like when it comes to my policy prescriptions, I want to do as much damage mitigation as I can, because I know nothing is 100%, nothing is 0%, but there are things that are 90, 95%. And I'd much rather take that than like something that's like 20%. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot. That's at least where a lot of my politics comes from. So yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. I think. <laughs> I so agree. Wacky, wacky, uh, wacky world. Okay. Um, uh, we could also talk about, um, you could also talk about like trigger warning, like sexual harassment and stuff like that, like various microaggressions that might lead to sexual assault, rape, stuff like that, or like like th- threats to rape, stuff like that. I mm. guess sexual violence in a sense. And also that kind of ties into consent, which was another topic, but I think we could probably like work those two together because I think they kind of, feed off of each other you know they absolutely do um yeah so i think language is a really big part of what contributes to these things happening um one of the things I think about is just kind of how in a very binary sense right now, um, boys and girls were raised as children um, 
and like sexualized very early on um like coming out the womb he's gonna be a heartbreaker and she's a little princess yeah Um, i was i don't like i think the argument like oh i don't like it when when it comes to like trans people i don't like it when we like oh no no like sexualize our children we kind of already do that already like have you ever seen like those shirts that say like so- sorry to interrupt you i'm so sorry but like that's okay so, you ever see those like those children's shirts for like boys that say like oh lady killer or something yeah. like that or like yeah. watch or like watch out dads you're daughter's gonna date me i don't know like yeah shirts like that even for like even for like women it's also it, like baby girls would be like oh, oh future housewife like stuff like that like yeah we already kind of have these gendered like very weird like disgustingly sexual um implications in like that we kind of instill in children already yeah that it's kind of weird but i just wanted to say that you know that like continue i'm sorry it's It's okay and it's completely heteronormative um and those gender stereotypes are very much ingrained to us um and that carries over i think about it a lot in high school and college um i had kind of started a peer program at my high school um, because at the time I had been seeing headline after headline after headline about women getting abused, um, about getting sexually assaulted, raped, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very disheartening and I didn't feel like the sex education or the discussions at my school were comprehensive enough. Um, So I consulted the vice principal and we started a program. Um, And it was primarily like made up of honor students and athletes. Um, And I was a little bit hesitant about having the athletes in this forum because I found them to be part of the problem. Um, You know, like happens in a lot of schools, um, some of the football boys had made a list ranking girls in the grade about uh, who they would like to have sex with from most to least. Mm -hmm. which is disgusting. Um, And they would do the, I don't remember exactly the letter or how it worked, but it would like a a B10, like cup size, you know, rating like Mm. faces and body parts. Um, So I was very reluctant to have people like that in the forum where I wanted it to be a safe, open and honest space. Um, But I did take that opportunity to directly ask them, like, you know, when it comes to locker room talk, have you ever 
participated in that? Have you ever heard your friends participate in that? Did mm-hmm. you call them out on it? Try to have a discussion? And um, obviously that didn't happen. Those conversations never existed. Um, right, right. And that program didn't get very far and it didn't accomplish everything that I wanted it to, um, unfortunately. But the language that we use when we talk about men versus women, and again, I'm keeping this very binary intentionally because you know, like disproportionately trans people and non-gender conforming people are affected by these things a lot more Uh and in different ways. Um, So I I am keeping it binary just for the sake of like time and not going on a tangent. Um, But For some reason, we kind of pin men and women against each other. Um, And something I've learned to to value in my adult life that I was never really taught to value as a young woman was emotional intelligence. And I find that to be an all-encompassing term. because emotional intelligence signifies to me that you understand consent at a very rudimentary level. It signifies to me that we will not use language that objectifies someone else. It signifies to me that if I talk about my woes as a woman and the way that the world treats me, that you will understand and be sympathetic to that. Um, And I feel like emotional intelligence is really hard to find. And I feel like it's not something that we bring up in people, but that discourse absolutely contributes to the way that we approach sex. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, God, you brought up so many good points there. Let me try to pick apart the the great the great feminist mind, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in terms of consent, this is I, I think for guys, it's a lot harder for guys to understand the relationship between like coercion and like i don't know the willingness for let's let's just keep it like binary heteronormative for like a woman to like a guy you know voluntarily you yeah because i feel like with a lot of other guys when they when they hear like especially if they're in a relationship i feel like this consent is like I think most important in a relationship if not else but also like if you guys are going to have a sexual relationship I feel like you have to kind of um, gauge the consents 
um, as you go, you know, because it's more like if 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 your girlfriend says that, yeah, she's fine having a sexual relationship. Okay, that's that. But you can't take that as like the lifetime pass to do anything at any time. Exactly. You know, and there's there's established consent, um, which, again, another thing um, I was lucky enough to have a teacher in high school who was very progressive. She was the um, sex education teacher. Um, I was a teacher's assistant for one of her courses. um, And she brought in a professional from a clinic, um, a reproductive health clinic, similar to Planned Parenthood, but not Planned Parenthood. Um, And she taught us about established consent, which is when you're in a relationship that is consistent in some way. This doesn't mean mm-hmm. like necessarily a monogamous long-term relationship, um, just anything where you are repeatedly seeing one person. You can establish consent with them, be like, hey, I'm comfortable if you do this all the time, but that still gives you every right to say no at any moment. Right. Um, And I saw a post today and it said something like people downplay what sexual assault can be because then more Mm -hmm. people would either have to adjust and understand themselves as a victim or as a perpetrator. Um, And I, I thought that was very, very important because like, going back to the football boys like you might not do these things yourself you might not use this language yourself you might not even participate in the conversation but that also means you're letting it happen you're not holding Mm. your friends accountable for what they're saying and what this could mean in reality your friend could say oh that girl's really hot i'm gonna fuck her later um and you might not say anything because you're like, oh, those are just words. But to me, that sounds like a very one-sided encounter. It doesn't sound like uh-huh. he's going to ask for her consent. It yeah. doesn't sound like he's going yeah. to pursue her in a healthy manner. It sounds like he's just objectifying her and she's the prize. And that's mm-hmm. not okay. And you're responsible for holding your friends accountable you're perpetrating that in a different way even though it's a little bit more indirect it's still Mm -hmm. an issue yeah I think oh god you 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 said that like perfectly because I think with a lot of tenets of masculinity and like how just how guys are in general with like other guys I feel like in masculinity, there tends to be, especially when you're like a teenager and you're like really young and like you think like you're on top of the world in high school, you know, you there's this tendency in masculinity to protect at all costs the in-group and then protect the in-group from the out-group, you know? So that's why a lot of guys will definitely feel hesitant to speak up against their friends because they don't want to 
unfortunately, it would threaten their status in the in-group, you know? They Mm -hmm. don't want to seem like the person that's like, oh, dude, you're like, you it's come on it's the boys why are you not defending the boys and be like you guys this is this is a felony like yeah you know like i don't know how far i i i can like tolerate you before you guys uh, you know i don't know how far you like you gotta push it like there are just some things like are permissible just because I think we minimize it a lot, like sexual assault. And I know, I know a lot of like, like people in general tend to say like, oh, like you ever heard of like, oh, women are just like faking, you know, being sexually harassed. Like it doesn't actually happen that often. You know, they're just trying to get attention for, you know, getting raped and stuff, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Attention. Okay. Name me Bill Cosby's accusers, right? Right off the top of your head. (laughs) So much for that attention, right? We don't know, don't really know their names. So, so much for that perceived fame, so much for that attention, you know? Yeah. They can't like admit that it's a problem with the in-group, meaning like masculinity. It has to be something with the out-group. It has to be mm-hmm. something with women. It can never be, it can never be an indictment against men because an indictment against men is an indictment against the status quo and a lot mm-hmm. of the power dynamics that exist in the status quo. And we don't like that. We don't like that, especially in America. We like our status quo. We we coddle it until the the cows fucking come home we'd rather we would rather see like jesus christ could literally come down from the (laughs) dead and be like hey i think you should stop with this patriarchy shit and and the guys would pick their own guys instead of jesus like like that's what (laughs) like like that's how far it's gone you know um but yeah it's i think the whole consent thing I think it's so important for for a lot of I'm not I'm not I'm not and I'm not saying like women can't you know have weird relationships with consent too because I'm sure like there are women out there that also don't understand like how good con- consent can like benefit them mm-hmm. you know because we, we all grow up in America you know we all grow up in America we all have biases that maybe turn against us in the long run but I think, you know, I think a lot of guys need to just understand that you need to gauge consent in a very responsible manner and in a very particular way, because like, you need to understand that, like, you can be in a relationship, you could have had like, you could be in a like a loving relationship, it's sexual, like you've had sex multiple times. But if there's like one night where your where your girl is like, no, I don't want to do it. And you bring up the argument, but you said we could do it like last night that's like you can compl- your your brain is like not connecting the right parts you know yeah so it's it's all about like analyzing the situation making the right to tr- make making the right choices and like i don't know not being afraid to speak up for injustice in a sense and it's so, you yeah. know like i hear the argument like asking for consent constantly isn't sexy it kills the mood and I've heard like women say that as well like I want a dominant man like don't ask me all the time but that's like 
a boundary that you can set and have that discussion from the get-go and Mm -hmm. if you know like I think it's kind of funny because the same men who will say oh it's not sexy to ask for consent all the time they're the same ones who don't really prioritize female pleasure so (laughs) yeah it doesn't it doesn't really matter (laughs) you know there's like flaws in that argument because you're not engaging in sex as a pleasurable act between two people you're not trying to be sexy you're trying to get off yourself like it it's about you Mm -hmm. it's never about been about the both of you or about your partner and them enjoying themselves that's i think that's i think that's the biggest self-report it's like i ever see like the most the most manliest man he'd be like well i don't think it's sexy and also i mean like I've never had a woman that had fun during sex anyway. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, that's such a huge self-report. That's hilarious. Like, I hope <laughs> you get well soon, you know? Um, get well soon. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. I just thought, you know, and I think it, it's, it's, it's interesting because I also think about like sexual harassment and these microaggressions. And I think that kind of, that mindset kind of plays into that as well think about Mm -hmm. like everyday think about like everyday like corporate jobs which i'm sure there's plenty of sexual harassment that goes on because it's not only like gendered but it also it's classed as well you know um um but i would say like i think that's the thing that also a lot of guys don't get like women are constantly like harassed or have made comments about their appearance because I think I think we can never let a woman's work be separate from the way she looks you Mm -hmm. know we can never just engage with women and the work they do separate um like the work that they do and like how they look because I think some men are just like oh she just got to that position because like she's hot or whatever you know it's not that she did the work to do so but also I mean have you ever ran into like men's rights activists um not not like ran personally into per- personally but if you just like if you've heard of them generally um i've never heard them referred to as activists but i've certainly heard of some loud mouths <laughs> yeah it's it's i think yeah activists is kind of me being charitable towards them but it's more so like there's this group of men that advocate for like men's rights in a sense that it's like they uh, they like pay attention to things like suicide rate and like the fact that oh Mm -hmm. men don't like get taken seriously for their emotions and i'm like okay yeah i can get behind that but then they take it too far and says oh it's because women are whores and Uh it's like that's this that's this complete like you did not 
you did not make that that's a complete jump you did not have to make you know yeah and it's just like it's blaming they just I think they blame women for all of these problems but never look at the fact that like oh it's like also men that uphold these standards and police other men's behavior um because as much as like not feeling emotions is a result of like the patriarchy I always hear those discussions um like in contradiction with Mm -hmm. when women will talk about depression and suicide you know it's they want it to be a separate issue and blame women but we'll only have that conversation at women's expense right exactly exactly they i they only bring it up to like discredit women in any way they can but outside of that they don't advocate for any other they don't advocate for it like outside of the fact you know they think they think gender is a zero-sum game right Mm -hmm. where if a woman is getting something then that has to mean that a man somewhere in the face of this earth is getting something removed like for some reason and it doesn't have to be that way it can be that women are gaining ground but it's only because they have so much ground to like catch up to in terms of like how much ground has been given to men Mm -hmm. just from the fact that they're men you know and it's it's an interesting dynamic and I I know we were talking about like sexual harassment before and we kind of got like sidetracked but um yeah in the face of it I think sexual harassment just stems from like i don't know i i think also toxic masculinity as well which i think is another hostile word that a lot of guys don't like um but i'm gonna say it anyway because i know that like 80 percent of my audience are men and i know who you are if you listen to this and i'm talking to you directly (laughs) because i don't have a big audience so I, I know who you are, um, but, but, but yeah, it's, it's more so like, because a lot of traditional masculinity is built on how we interact with femininity and vice versa, you know, because a lot of like traditional masculinity is like, okay, like being strong and like being domineering and being um kind of emotionalist and apathetic but like in relation to who well in relation to women right so it's it it, so much of it is built on male superiority and like like um female inferiority in a sense it's all about taking for men it's not about earning for men because earning is for women winning and taking is for men that's how it should be you know and i can get into the nuances of it it's it's very like a lot of it is like gender theory and stuff like that um and i'll be honest there's probably a lot more i could say but i'm only an economics major um, (laughs) kind of outside of my pay grade um but um 
yeah, I just think it's it's interesting because, yeah. And another thing I wanted to to kind of bring up is that I think men also kind of tend to downplay like the fear women have about being sexually assaulted. Absolutely. Because I think that being having the being absent from the fear of sexual harassment or assault, while it does happen to men, it does happen to men, it's substantially more, more dangerous for women purely from the fact of like what expectations we have for masculinity and femininity, you know? And also the fact that like, uh, I heard this example like on a, on a, I forgot what YouTube video it was, but it was like some YouTube podcast thing. And it, they made such a great point. It's like, well, let's say you're on Tinder or something and you're like, you're just there to hook up or like, I don't know, just get with somebody. When, oh, when, let's say that's me and like, I'm a guy and I go over to a girl's place. I go to her house, right? I don't feel like I'm under any threat. Mm-hmm. being in a woman's house now i'm not saying it's not going to happen but the statistics and like the the overall perception like when a man is in a woman's house he, he basically doesn't feel threatened if anything he feels all the more like encouraged to like do something i don't know mm-hmm. but when a woman goes to a man's place i think the dynamic is changed drastically because i don't think because i think then there is this kind of fear when a woman enters a man's house like the domain basically yeah and i i mean i my experience like i've had men ask me to go on dates at their house first time meeting them ever and i always say no because that to me indicates that they don't understand the implications mm-hmm. of that and that they probably don't pay attention when women are like, I am scared of men. I yeah. need you to like prove I can trust you and be safe around you. Mm-hmm. Like, especially with online dating, like, I say, do whatever you want, but ultimately you got to be safe. Um, And meeting in a public space is usually the safest first Mm -hmm. impression. Um, But, you know, I just, I read right through that and it signals to me that these guys probably don't stay up to date on women's issues and issues Mm -hmm. of sexual harassment and assault, which is something that I actively have to think about. And so I would want a partner who understands those things. So it's kind of scary to me. And I just don't really know how someone could be so in the dark about those things. Yeah, yeah, it is. The more I thought, because it took me a while to realize this. Like, I'm not even going to lie right now. It took me a while to realize this because, like, it's not something like, like that I would think about, you know? It's all about putting yourself in, like, the other's shoes, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think 
that's why I think women have every right to have as much of a front when it comes to dating as they can because like I think I think you should definitely have a lot of barriers to like gauge though this these are kind of these are kind of hip now like red flags and green flags you know in a sense um because I understand like if you know you're a good person, you would not consider yourself a threat to someone else. So you're like, why would they see me as a threat? But it's not you personally. Like, I know that I'm a nice person and I try to be friendly to everyone I meet, but people don't know that about me upon first glance. Mm -hmm. Like, that's something that they have to learn about me. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And it's especially very scary. Like if you are cat called, sometimes men will be like, don't you trust me? I'm a good guy. Like, oh no. why would I like, trust you? You just yelled at me from the street. Like, how does that prove you're a good person? And why do you get so mad that I don't trust you right off the bat? Like, that's an issue. Like mm-hmm. those things have to be proven. Trust has to be earned. Like, yeah. It, I, I, I get it to a degree. I can understand if you know you're a good person and you're not a threat to people and you don't actively do stuff like that, why you would be confused as to why someone would be hesitant, but it's not a personal individual thing. It's a systemic issue. And that's what you need to understand. Like this is a problem that women are facing constantly and it's not just a few women it's pretty much all women Mm -hmm. yeah and I think to add on to that it's men get so defensive when this topic kind of uh, like kind of arises because like as you said oh like I'm a nice guy but also they're like well not all men are like sexual predators and like women get that it's not all men it's just they don't know which men are not sexual predators you know have you heard the loaded gun example um i haven't but i i feel like i could i i could guess what it's about but yeah just what's the loaded gun example it's like you have a gun with one bullet in it out of six so there are six empty spaces but you wouldn't point that gun at shoot at someone because it's such a dangerous thing to do, even when your chance is only one out of six. You yeah. wouldn't take that shot. That's how we look at men. There's, there could be a low chance that they are a sexual predator, but it's still a chance. And that's not a situation mm-hmm. that we would willingly put ourselves into. Right, right. Yeah. And it's and it's like, why would you like why would you even take that risk, you know? Yeah. It's it's like better to be it's better to be safe, to be honest. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. Like I I that's why I'm I I that's why I'm always I'm always interested of like like because i think i have i have a lot of like 
girlfriends, like friends that I'm with that are that are like women. And yeah. they always tell me like they always have to carry pepper spray. And I'm like, can you show me like the pepper spray? I, I don't know. I I always just want to see the pepper spray. I think it's so cool that like you can defend yourself in that way. And it does work. Like to be honest, I've never been pepper sprayed, but I would imagine like <laughs> it's like me eating something spicy and like rubbing my eyes afterwards. I don't know. I imagine that's what I don't want to I don't want to be reductive in terms of it, but I imagine like it's not pleasant. Um, yeah. But honestly, like I've gone to clubs before and you're not allowed to bring that stuff in there. Like that's yeah. where you need it most. That's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, what's the point then? Because I'm not allowed to protect myself in the situations where I need to protect myself. Because even though there's a lot of people around, those people don't give a fuck about you. Like, they're not going to look out for your well-being. It's kind of like every man for himself in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a couple who might look out for you, but also you can't bank on that. You need mm-hmm. to be able to rely on yourself to protect yourself, but you're not given the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's crazy. Like they would just take that away from you. Like, um, I actually have one of my friends. She went to a she went to a Celtics game recently, and like in the garden, they confiscate like pepper spray and stuff like that, and they don't give it back to you. Like she didn't get it back afterwards, and I'm like okay like they could they could take it away but the fact that they don't give it back is interesting yeah it that also stuff costs money yeah it does it does and i was like that's like not if i were in charge of public policy that's not the thing i would enforce like people not having pepper spray in places where they probably maybe statistically might need it the most I think that's kind of insane. Maybe yeah. there's like some legal technicality that's like s- overall some bullshit that I don't think is justifiable for why you can't have it. But honestly, just let them have the pepper spray or like let them have, I don't, I don't know, like anything. Yeah. I guess. Maybe not anything. I, I'm fine if you don't bring a gun into like, uh, I don't know, but um, yeah. It's uh it's it's pretty crazy, I think. So so yeah. when you so when you had that happen to you, they didn't give it back to you or Oh, I didn't even bother to bring it in there. Oh I wasn't gotcha. gonna risk that. Oh gotcha. Yeah. That's probably the move to go with, I guess, but yeah, you can never really know. Yeah. Um okay. Um I think we can start wrapping it up. Um it's been a long discussion, by the way. I think it's been almost two hours. So yeah. <laughs> that's that no, that's great. I, I love that. I love that we got to talk about at least most of the things um that that I wanted to talk about. Oh, I, I also wanted to talk like at least briefly about trans people in general, 
maybe I'll talk about it that in another separate episode. Or if you want to come on again, I guess, um, to talk, then you're more than welcome to. Um, but yeah. Um, do you have, um, I guess we could talk about trans people or we could just end it here. Um, but more importantly, do you have anything that you wanted to bring up that maybe we didn't cover? Maybe I might've missed or something you feel that um, you could enlighten us with um, before we go? I mean, we definitely like focused on America, um, which Uh is not bad at all. I think there's a lot to be discussed. Um, And I definitely won't dive into this for the sake of time, because this could be a whole nother conversation. Um, But I think um, transnational feminism needs to be more of a discussion because Mm -hmm. especially with the way that we are given news, um, very limited news about what goes on internationally, especially in terms of women's rights, or the way that other countries or people from other countries are portrayed in our media. Um, I think those are, or they tend to be kind of dangerous narratives and we get a very, Mm -hmm. very limited scope of what is actually going on. Um, And like, there's a lot of controversy about things that we in America think are objectively bad, like, child labor for example um and low wages um underpaid workers and factories and while objectively Mm -hmm. yes those do sound like human rights issues um we tend to ignore the cultural context in which those things are happening um like you can't just upend child labor without fixing the economy first because Mm. the reason that those children are working is to help provide for their families and if you just say nope it's not okay for children to work then a family goes hungry and they might die of starvation so things are a lot more complicated than we like to view them especially with our colonialist perspective um and i think that's just that's a component of feminism that needs to be incorporated a lot more in American feminist discourse than currently is. Mm. Yeah, well said. I think, yeah, I, I really wish I could um, talk more about um, like transnational issues um, if I, if my knowledge wasn't so limited on it, which, um, you know, yeah, I would have to, um, I would have to look more into that, but also like we're not as exposed, as you said, to that kind of discourse. We're re- we'd rather concern ourselves with um, domestic affairs because, well, it's our backyard. You know, we yeah. know where we live and I get yeah. that. Like, take care of yourself. I get that. That's fine. But ultimately, you taking care of yourself will down the line eventually have you you have to care about like other people you know yeah and yeah I think that's just like an inevitability and I think 
what you said about like the colonialist mindset is absolutely true because I think Americans, I guess America in general are so obsessed with being like the world's police, you know? And I think there are just some issues that we, I feel like we, we get too up in our head about and think that we can solve you using like our knowledge, but it's, it's not, it's not infinite. You know, our knowledge isn't infinite. We have our limits because we're not as culturally informed. Like we, we always complain about the education system and how shit it is in America. But at the same time, we act like we know everything. It's like, it's like pick one, you know? What about cultural competence? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it all comes down to intersectionality in a sense which you know i still don't have i still haven't heard a good rebuttal against for by the way but if you the viewer are listening right now have some concerns about intersectionality i will gladly debate you in the emails (laughs) i guess (laughs) um but that's that's discussion for another day um mac thank you so much for coming on um god i need i need to get this right never mind pititary mac (laughs) we you heard it here first mac pititary she came on she was the first guest for my podcast so um i'm thankful that i could get her on um i finally got a guest on hopefully i can get more guests on Hopefully you being on here prompts more people to be like, hey, yes, I can talk to the host without feeling like I'm, uh, you know, just being ignored. I hope you had a good time. And yeah, I just think we can wrap it up here then. Um, I guess, Mac Pititeri, uh, <laughs> any closing thoughts or anything you want to promote to maybe the people listening? Any um, thing you want to shout out anything uh last minute thoughts um just go for it you're the guest so the floor is yours for anything um you want to get out there just please always be willing to listen learn and grow um being an adult and being understanding um those things aren't stagnant. Those are things that you always have to keep working on. Um, and you don't just stop learning at a certain age. Um, and I think that's kind of what makes life worth living. And thank you, Tyron, for having me on. Yeah, of course, of course. And also to keep in mind, folks, that all of these discussions can always be um expanded upon we only are going off the very limited knowledge of two people who live in the united states and who live um you know somewhat comfortable lives so obviously our perspective is limited but um if you have any questions or concerns um regarding the topic or just the podcast in general always reach out to the email provided at the end And of course, thank you so much, Mac, for coming on. And yeah, hopefully we can uh, talk again um, sometime soon. Maybe you'll go on, come on another episode or something.
Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, the door is always open for any other guests as well. And yeah, like like you said, um, we're always learning. We're always, um, you know, trying to be the best version of versions of ourselves, and to make sure that our bad behavior doesn't become a template for future behavior. So, yeah. With all that said, um, this has been the tragedy of our reality. Thank you so much for listening to the tragedy of our reality. And thank you again so much to those of you who have supported me along the way, because without you, I wouldn't be here. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, or if you're interested in becoming a guest on this lovely podcast, please feel free to reach out via email at the tragedy of our reality at gmail.com. That's the tragedy of our reality at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. If you like what you heard, please do consider supporting the podcast as well as giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts. And apparently, now you can rate it on Spotify as well. So, how about that? Thank you all again for listening, and until next time, and as always, take it easy.